Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. Hi, I'm Adriana Scori. I'm a hiking mom in the Canadian Rockies, Mama to Turner, and CEO of Kids Who Explore. I'm Lauren Rodick Eberly. I'm mom to Collins. We love being outside and exploring between our two homes in Seattle, Washington, and Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Today's podcast is sponsored by Kids Who Explore's Patch for a Purpose. Every time we see our patch out in the world, we feel the love and support behind it. Our patches can be sewn onto backpacks, jackets, bags, or even baby carriers, to name a few. Or they can be carried in your packs as special adventure items for all your little explorers. Our patch comes in eight different colors, and a dollar from each patch goes to a, you guessed it, purpose. Your support can make a difference for all of the following charity groups, depending on which color patch you want to represent. Alberta Parks, Children's Disability, BIPOC and Anti-Racism, Sick Children, The Earth, Children's Wellbeing, Anti-Bullying, and Children's Mental Health. Check out the hashtag Patch for a Purpose to see our patch and the community behind it. That's hashtag Patch, the number four, a purpose. To get your patch today, visit www.kidswhoexplore.ca. We thank you in advance for the difference you are making. Andrea Davis is a former secondary ed teacher turned screen time navigator. She is the founder of Better Screen Time, where she shares family tested ideas from the tech trenches as a mom of five. She is on a mission to help parents worry less about tech and connect more with their kids. Andrea and her husband, Tyler, live in beautiful Hood River, Oregon, where they love spending time outdoors as a family. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for coming to chat with us today. Hey, I'm excited to be here. I have so many questions for you that I don't even know where to start. (laughs) (laughs) About a year ago, Adri and I and our friend Cindy did an episode about what our screen time looks like. What we learned is we are all very different. I'm probably a pretty extreme case in the sense that I don't watch TV myself, so my daughter doesn't either. Uh Now that she's over two, I've agreed to some very intentional family movie nights because my husband likes screens way more than I do. (laughs) Uh And uh, she's also never used an iPad or anything like that. And I try my best, not always successfully, to limit my phone usage around her to mostly like connection-based use rather than consumption. So FaceTime dates with our family who's out of town and that kind of thing. So what's interesting though, I found is when I was initially thinking about kids and screen time, I brain instantly went to TV. And then I realized we now live in a time where there's endless options of screen time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, can you start by telling us why you are passionate about kids and screen time? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. My story sounds a lot like yours long ago. (laughs) So uh, my oldest is 17 now. And when she was around two, we actually put our TV in the closet and I am also not a huge TV watcher, but at the time my husband was working on his PhD at Purdue and we had some really good friends there. And one of them, she was just an amazing reader. And so I just asked her one day, I said, okay, Rachel, what did your parents do to instill this love of reading? in you, even though I I love to read and I love books, but she took it to a whole nother level. And she said, Oh, well, we didn't have a TV growing up. And I was like, Oh, interesting. And so that was what instigated this idea of putting the TV in the closet. I just went home. I told my husband, I'm like, what would you think if we don't completely get rid of it, but we just use it like an appliance and just pull it out for family movie night. And he's not really into sports. And so 
it was kind of an easy sell. And he was like, sure, let's do it. And it's crazy, but that's still what we do uh, 15 years later. (laughs) Yeah. And so that was kind of where it started. But again, that was before smartphones existed. Um, I didn't have a smartphone at that time and, you know, the iPad wasn't even a thing yet, but fast forward just a few years later, and obviously all those things came onto the scene. We were pretty slow to adopt a lot of those newer technologies just because I was worried about screens and my kids, but eventually schools started sending devices home and my kids were getting older and starting to ask and I just thought, what do I do? Because, you know, putting the TV in the closet worked so well for so many years. And I have zero regrets about that. But technology is so much more, just like you said, it's now portable. And we carry these many computers in our pockets, even as parents. And our family had a, made a big move, a big cross-country move about five years ago from Illinois to Oregon. And at that time, our oldest was in middle school. And we handed over an abandoned smartphone to her. So it was just like a leftover smartphone that we weren't using anymore. I wasn't like we went to the store and bought her a phone. It was just like, I don't know anyone in this town and I want you to know where to get off the bus. And then of course, a lot of her friends were starting to get phones and she was leaving them all behind. It's such a kind of fragile age and it was just really tricky. And so we ended up just thinking this phone was a communication tool. Well, as we all know, it was much more than that. And we had to backtrack and put that phone away and, and ordered a brick phone. That was really all that was available at the time. And it was really painful for our daughter. It was painful for us, but it was at that point when I realized, Hey, parents need a lot more help here. And there were, you know, there were a few resources, but not really a lot five years ago. And so I used to be a teacher and I was like, well, here we go. I'm going to start just sharing what I'm learning as I go. Amazing. Yeah. It's such a hard thing. I think for everyone to navigate knowing what's right, what's right for your family and what's right for your kids. They're at. So thank you for sharing your personal story. No, totally. I feel like that's kind of what parents need, especially even mothers, because I think a lot of times it is the moms that have to navigate most of it, whichever parent is mostly at home. And I think parents just need to know that they're not alone and that that we're all trying to figure this out as we go. And that's okay. (laughs) To quote you, you said being screen-free isn't about counting minutes on a screen. It's about choosing moments in real life. That's something we are so passionate about, real life, the outdoors. And I think that's a very important question to ask. What are our screens taking from us? Yeah. Um, I think that that was one of the things that scared me the most when we handed over this phone to our daughter, when she would come home from school, instead of us having a conversation about the school day, instead there was this, this phone was out and she was eating her after school snack, like her bowl of cereal and scrolling And I was like, what is going on here? And it was just kind of that moment where I realized, hey, we used to be having a conversation here. Now we're not talking. And this device is basically a wedge in the relationship. And so that was kind of my first clue that these portable devices really were interrupting real life and that connection that we're meant to have as a family. And obviously they're amazing tools, but there has to be boundaries 
and also a lot of teaching and training before we're handing these devices over to our kids and that they really need to be at a much more mature level before they have this huge responsibility. Because even as adults, we struggle often to have good boundaries and healthy boundaries. So yeah, it's just the watching and paying attention in our own lives of where we're missing out on those real life connections and making sure tech doesn't get in the way. Absolutely. Do you mind talking a little bit about the benefits that come with reducing that screen time? Yeah. Well, I think one of the biggest benefits obviously is in our relationships and just even as parents, you know, I decided to take my devices out of the bedroom and bathroom. When we started to make a family tech plan about five years ago, that was one of the things I felt really strongly about that. As I had read a lot of research, that was one thing that kept coming up was like using screens in isolation really is where a lot of the problems start to creep in, in so many different ways. And the kids called me out on it. They're like, will you take your device into the the bedroom or the bathroom? And I was like, you're right. I do. And I'm going to change that. And so I have over the past four years, I have been very, very strict and, and lived up to that. So, but I think that's the thing that we lose the most is just obviously that connection, but also when looking at our kids, they're missing out on a lot of physical activity and face-to-face interaction with friends in real life, sleep. That's a huge thing. If you talk to any school counselor, they will tell you that they've got kids in their office who are struggling with behavior or with their grades or otherwise. And quite often it's stemming to this, the lack of sleep. And when they talk to parents and, you know, they say, okay, what's, you know, what's going on? Why is your child not getting enough sleep? And the parents will say, well, yeah, they're on their device until two or three in the morning. And I just don't know what to do about it. And it's like, well, <laughs> yes, we got to get the device out of the bedroom, but just that that's a huge thing. Like just our sleep is a huge part of our overall health. So obviously that's a problem. And then we're also just seeing a huge rise in the type of content that kids are consuming that's just not appropriate for them. It's not age appropriate. And, you know, just a few weeks ago, we received an email from our principal calling out that basically the fifth grade class just saying, you know, these kids are watching TikToks and being exposed to language and um, behaviors that aren't appropriate. And then they're they're starting to see that manifested in the kid's behavior where they're showing inappropriate gestures to younger kids and at school. The list goes on and on. There's so many ways that technology just kind of really can get in the way and change behavior, really. I find that really interesting about the TikTok you know, because yeah, they, they're getting on there. And I noticed like scrolling through every other video seems to have swears on yeah. it. It's kind of shocking. And then they're being exposed to that. So, wow, that is a really uh, interesting point there. Well, mm-hmm. and it's hard because with something like TV, you could possibly be around your kids to see yes. what they're consuming. But if they have this device that's just theirs and in their pocket, you can't choose what they're seeing. And with TikTok and all of that, it's just like, it's just going to keep flowing. Right. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, using screens in isolation is such a problem. We really encourage the families use devices out in the open and then even deciding as a family, like if we're going to watch YouTube, that's something that we all do together just because it is so tricky to know like what is, even if you're turning on like the safe searches and all the things, sometimes things pop up that you didn't ask for and kids are sometimes caught unaware and then it just sparks that curiosity in them. So it's not like they're trying to be bad, but they're like, wow, interesting. So I'll click on that. And it's just that curiosity factor really that, that comes into play. Um, but yeah, like social media is supposed to be for 13 and up, which is still even too young in my opinion. And, um, you know, there's kids are just being exposed to a lot of things that aren't meant for kids. Right. And so you said already that a big part is modeling it as us having to look at ourselves and how we're using screens so that we can show our children a healthy way to use screens. Yes. And yeah. And I think something, this is maybe like a twofold question because I think something that people find challenging when they're trying to model it is when they're a working parent that's either working from home and then especially during COVID having their kids home and trying to figure out what to entertain them with or whatnot while they're working, but then also how as a working parent, even if you're not working from home, how you can answer some emails or calls or whatnot and show your children that that's exactly what you're doing and then leaving it at that and then not scrolling constantly after. So you are a really great example because you are doing the juggle of being a working parent and having five kids. Can mm -hmm. you talk about maybe some ways that we can show our children that healthy screen use? Yeah. I think having personal boundaries before you try to get anyone else to commit to a family tech plan is really important. And I, I learned that the hard way, but for me personally, like I take a social media sabbatical every Sunday. And to me, that's a good day to just completely step away and take a break. And I just don't even look, you know, don't even touch the apps. Don't even open it. And our family also tries to go a little bit more screen-free that day. We still have to use screens for some, because we go to church and we still sometimes like access our scriptures and things on devices, but we're not, you know, watching, spending lots of time watching movies or other things. That's kind of a screen light day. But for me as a parent, that's how I model that. It's like, oh, I'm taking, I take a break from social media every Sunday. I also leave my phone at home on date night. So our date night is on Saturday night. And I learned that it's best if I just leave my phone at home because then it's not a distraction. And, and again, that's like teaching your kids that this relationship matters to me and you're prioritizing your spouse or partner. And that's been really helpful for me. And then as far as like juggling work hours with kids, I think it's just communication is really helpful, letting our kids know what we're doing and why. And my friend, Emily Churkin always says to live your tech life out loud. And I love that line. And just, especially with young kids to saying, oh, I'm texting grandma because, you know, or we're, I'm scheduling a play date with your friend's mom, letting them know what you're doing. And then just having specific work hours because our, our work follows us everywhere. 
And I think as moms, obviously there are going to be times when we're working, when maybe it's not standard work hours, but maybe you've worked that out with your spouse or partner and you just let the kids know I've got a big project. And so I'm going to be working from five to seven and trying to hold yourself to that. And, and I try to do that. Like, you know, if I'm going to get up early on a Saturday morning, like having a certain stop time so that then I am engaged and I am involved with what the kids are doing. And, and I think the sneakiest part is just the phone. So I don't have my work email on my phone and that's really helpful. It's only on my laptop. So I'm never like checking work email on my phone, but I obviously do run social media account on my phone. And so again, it's just like having those boundaries that, okay, maybe from five to seven, that's when I try really hard to just be we're, we're prepping dinner together or I'm running kids around and I'm just, I'm here, like I'm present. And I think it's just a work in progress. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. And everyone looking at their own schedule and figuring out what those boundaries are and what that's like. Mm-hmm. I think too, because my daughter, she's not right now because her grandma's with her, but usually she's with me when I'm teaching music or podcasting and all that. And as you see, Adri has Turner with her. Yes. And I think they've learned a lot about independent play from having these moments where they need to play. Yeah. So I think that's good too, even though it can be hard sometimes, but worth it in the long run. No, it totally is. And it's okay to be like, you know, I have this thing that I'm, I'm working on. And as long as our kids are like safe and they're taken care of and, but yeah, just providing them with those open-ended toys and communicating with them. And obviously when they're really little, you know, they're not really going to understand, but as they get older, it's just like incrementally they start to, to learn, okay, mom's working right now and I need to not bother her. Right. You talk a lot about how, if you're in the middle of a big life transition, then you shouldn't toss an extra device into the mix. So if you have a new baby or moving or going through a job loss or a number of other things, you shouldn't choose that time to possibly give your kid their own phone, for example. Yes. Yes. Does it work the other way too? Should that not be the time you try and start limiting screen time? Or do you think there's never a bad time for that? Yeah, I think it really just comes to being honest with your situation and knowing like what can you handle and what can you not? But obviously when you have a new baby or you're pregnant you're super sick or some of those things, sometimes maybe you are letting kids watch a few more shows than you normally would have or, or something like that. But again, I think just being honest with yourself and saying, this is temporary. This is this one week while I'm sick or, or whatever. But yeah, I think making big changes can be really hard. But if you're noticing that tech starting to take over, even if you are in the middle of a big move or whatever, I think, you know, mustering up whatever energy you can find to just work together as a family to create a family tech plan is always a good idea. And sometimes it's a good time to have those conversations because you are kind of you maybe you have a fresh start you're starting something new or whether it's a you know a move or a new baby maybe it's like okay we're regrouping and we're starting over sometimes it's a really good time to sit down and make a plan together as a family i think the the trick is just always to make sure you're involving your spouse or partner and your kids in those decisions And then that way it feels like a team approach rather than moms just like walking in and making lots of demands. (laughs) So 
how can families get started on limiting their screen time, especially if they're heavily dependent on it? Like, is a challenge the way to go or how would you help other families with this? Yeah, I think it depends on your family and depends also on your personal mindset and, and how much energy do you have as a parent? So we do have a seven day connection reset on our website at betterscreentime.com. And it's under the start here page. And that is like a seven day, you know, we're getting off of screens and I send ideas every day. So obviously you are getting an email, but I kind of have a focus for every day. And then there's a private podcast that goes with that, where I'm basically offering just encouragement as you're going through that seven day screen-free challenge. And that can be helpful to just help parents start over because sometimes we do just need a redo. And especially with younger kids, they really adapt to what you as a parent are modeling and, and just kind of like what you decide when your kids are little, you have a lot of control basically over the environment in the situation. And so a challenge can be really helpful that way. If you've got older kids, sometimes it's more helpful to sit down and create the family tech plan together and just make small changes incrementally because I found, I used to teach uh, junior high. So that's kind of my specialty is adolescence. I find sometimes with older kids, if you walk in and you're really are demanding a lot without getting a lot of their feedback and input, it doesn't usually go over very well because they're at a stage of development where they're becoming more independent and they are learning who they are, they're forming their identity, and you will get some pushback. And I know that from experience and it can be hard. And so sometimes in those situations, it's best to just say, Hey, let's just start with doing screen-free Sunday, or let's start with leaving screens out of bedrooms and bathrooms, like picking something, one small thing or having device-free dinner. Let's make sure everybody puts devices in the charging station and, and that our dinner is completely device-free. Sometimes just doing some small things like that can be a better with older kids and teenagers. Yes. Okay. And going back to you talking about cell phones, I feel like a lot of parents probably feel like everyone has a cell phone. So I need to give my kid a cell phone or we live in a tech world. They need to learn this stuff. So have you kind of found like a general rule that people should consider giving their kid their own phone or maybe even social media, like you're talking about and how to navigate the rules and the usage around that? Yeah. So there are a few things I recommend. Number one, there's a great organization called wait until eighth, and they have a pledge that you can sign that you will wait until eighth grade for a smartphone. And that means like a full on smartphone. Now today, five years ago, this wasn't available, but today there are smartphones that are much more safe for kids. Um, there's one called Gab Wireless and it has no internet on it. So that has been a really great option for our middle, middle schoolers because they can still message their friends. They can still do the group texts and interact and they can take pictures. They can, there's like basic things on it, like a calculator and a camera, but there's no internet access. So that has been wonderful and amazing. And again, that wasn't available to us before, but I recommend that families do two sit down with their kids and ask their kids two questions. So the first one is just ask your kids, what does it mean to be responsible? 
And I think most kids know, and we did this with our kids years ago when we were trying to figure out how do we do the phone thing? Because we did it wrong. Let's figure out how to do it right. And our kids were like, okay, well, you get up for school on time by yourself. You do your homework without being asked. You do your chores. You take care of your belongings and don't lose them or break them. And so we made this big list and we're like, yes, exactly. And then we said, number two, second question is what does it mean to be emotionally mature? And that's kind of a lot to unpack for young kids, but as kids get older, they start to understand what that really means. Like that means that we don't throw a fit when we don't get our way. That even means with technology, like, do I get upset when the, when the time limit is up? Like, how do I react? Am I emotionally mature about it? Am I kind to my siblings? Like those kinds of things demonstrate emotional maturity. And as we went through that list with our kids, we basically said, yes. And these are all the things that someone needs to be able to do before they are ready for a phone. And our kids were like, Oh, (laughs) they didn't know that's where we were going with it. But we then took those questions and turned it into a self-evaluation, which is available on our website at betterscreentime.com. It's just on the very front homepage and it's called, am I ready for a personal device? And we say that it's for teens, but I know kids younger and younger are starting to ask for phones. So you can print that out and have your child or your teen do a self-evaluation and see like, how are they doing on those things? And then the very last question is, do I have a need for the phone and do my parents feel I'm ready? And that's kind of like that capstone question where let's say you have a super responsible 10 year old, but you're like, they don't need a phone. And I really know they're not ready. Then you get to have that conversation as you know, a parent and talk about why And kids want to know why, instead of just no, like, no, you can't have one or you can't have one until this certain age that allows you the opportunity to have the conversation and to talk about, yeah, we have a lot of growing up to do before we have a phone. So in our home, I guess, just to give you an example, our seventh and eighth grader share a gab phone, which is an internet free smartphone. And then our 17 year old does have an iPhone that she purchased, but it's very restricted. So, um, it has limited options. And then when it comes to social media, really just in my experience and working with adolescents and now having three teens of my own, I really recommend that parents wait until at least age 16. And I know that's really seems really long, but the, the problem is, is that social media is very, it's just really tricky because it ha, it's using algorithms. And so quite, quite often what will happen is a teenager might start searching for something and then the algorithm is feeding them certain topics and content. And quite often that content cannot be, can be really harmful. Things like videos about self-harm or about suicide or dieting, even body image, especially for young girls it can be really tricky. And just that there's so many tricky things there. It's not, social media is not policed very well. It's not monitored very well. And so it's just a really hard thing to hand that over to a teenager who's still trying to figure out who they are. And they, it can be very confusing really fast. And so that's why we recommend waiting as long as you can. 
I have learned so much today from you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Just very eye-opening with, especially with the social media component with adolescent, for sure. That's yeah. Yes. Is there anything else you wanted to add today about screen time or about anything you want to tell our audience? I think just to not be afraid to be countercultural. I know it can be hard. It is hard. There are times when my kids have felt left out or have been left out. Like that's, that's just the reality of it. But just like, you know, read the research, find a couple of books. Like there's a great book called Reset Your Child's Brain by Dr. Victoria Dunkley. And she talks a lot about just the effects of screens on the brain. And then there's a book called Glow Kids that is also really good. And it is full of worst case scenarios. So I always tell parents like, read it and then don't, don't parent out of fear, like use it as a tool so that you be, can become more knowledgeable, but then parent from a place of confidence. And I think as you read and research and talk to other parents, you will start to know what's right for your family. And then you just stick with it. And if it's different than what everyone else is doing, that's okay. (laughs) Such a good takeaway there. I was so grateful for what you're doing and sharing with families, because I think our generation didn't really have to deal with this at a young age because these smartphones didn't exist. So now we're trying to parent and teach our children how they can also be emotionally safe with all of these things as adults. So starting as young as as possible to limit (laughs) and Mm -hmm. then when they're ready in a healthy way, I think is so important. And I know you have so many resources. You have a bunch of free resources for people and you have courses. So Mm -hmm. where can people find you to follow along more and access those courses and things? Yeah. So betterscreentime.com is our website and our Instagram and Facebook handle are also betterscreentime ironic. I know, (laughs) but it is where we're all chatting and having this conversation and helping each other out. And yeah. So, and you can find our online courses on our website, betterscreentime.com too. And I also have my own discussion guide. It's called creating a tech healthy family and 10 must have conversations to help you worry less and connect more with your kids. Like we do when we feel stressed out instead of turning to a device, like those kinds of conversations. And so it's on Amazon and so people can grab it there. Wonderful. Okay. Let's end with our final questions. So in the last few months, what was your best purchase under a hundred dollars? And this is such a hard question, but since you guys talk about outdoors, this is what I thought of. I got some new hiking socks, uh, just two weeks ago and the brand is darn tough <laughs> and they're made in Vermont and apparently they have lifetime they're supposed to be good for life. Like if they get a hole in them, apparently you can send them in. And I am preparing to do backpacking trip with my 13 year old this summer. It will just be for a couple of days with a bunch of other moms and their daughters. And so I'm excited. I got hiking socks. <laughs> that will be so fun. People don't realize how key socks are because they help you avoid blisters, which therefore. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Yes. Okay, can you share a book? I know you already shared two amazing books. So I'll link those up as well, but a book show or podcast recommendation right now. Yeah. So this is interesting. It has nothing to do with any of our topics that we've been talking about, but I've been reading a book called the psychology of money. In fact, I Ooh. have it right here and it's really interesting because 
quite often when we learn about money, we're talking more about just like budgets and the numbers, right? But this is more about the psychology and how people who have done well with money and been basically responsible with it. Like what was their mindset and how did they think about money? And I think that's really helpful because we all have to deal with money. So, Oh, I've never seen that one. Thanks for sharing that. I'll link that up too. Yeah. And lastly, if there is no time or money limit, where would you travel or explore next? I guess you have your backpacking trip. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, this is so hard. Like, um, I love to travel, but with five kids, we've mostly done a lot of road tripping, which is also exciting, but I really would just go to any islands in the Caribbean and I just, I love snorkeling and warm water. So (laughs) that's what I would do. (laughs) I'm with you on that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. The pleasure was mine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms. This podcast is produced by KP Media Productions.